Welcome to the Sooners Extra Podcast powered by the Oklahoman. I'm Ryan Aber, joined today by Jenny Carlson and Barry Trammell. Uh, Jenny, Barry, how y'all doing? Good. Great. It's fall and uh, it's cooling off and we've actually got football games. So that's uh, kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it definitely is. And it is OU Texas week. Uh, it, it's a different OU Texas week than... Uh, than any other for for a lot of reasons but uh it, yeah jenny jenny it's not the game that we expected the certainly when you talk about the the record and implications and, and things like that yeah i mean obviously when we uh you know really got close to the start of this season we knew every game was going to be weird and different and you know have all sorts of things that we're not used to because of the pandemic. Um, and I think in some ways we've kind of started to come to grips with just the, the difference that is going to be there every week. But I think when the season started, we felt like when we got to OU Texas, when we got to the Cotton Bowl, when we got to Red River rivalry time, that, you know, yeah, it was going to look different and feel different, but we were going to have a really good matchup. And instead we've got Two teams coming off losses, OU coming off back-to-back losses. So, unfortunately, you know, that is vastly different than we've seen in the last, uh, you know, 20 or so years of this rivalry. This is a rivalry that's become, you know, not only important in the pecking order of the Big 12, but nationally. And now you really have to wonder if either of these teams have any chance of, uh, of scratching that, uh, that playoff uh, group so it's it, yeah it's very much uh gonna put us all off kilter a, a bit on saturday yeah barry uh the, the, the different we certainly didn't expect three combined losses by these teams especially with the schedules uh the way they were laid out which team needs success more on saturday oh i'd say texas because the Sooners have a great pedigree in recent years. Lincoln Riley's a made man no matter what. That's not the case at Texas. You know, this. the truth is the season the Longhorns are having is the season they generally have. Um, we just keep waiting for them to, to break out and, and have, a, have a really good year. And it uh, happened to some degree in 18, but uh, for the most part, no. So – you know, if, if if Oklahoma ends up with an eight and – well, I'm not playing 12 games. So, let's, <laughs> let's say they go six and four. Let's say they go six and four and then go to a bowl game. We're going to say, well, this is a disaster year. But, no, nah, you know what? I mean, they've been great for five years. There's next year. If Texas goes six and four, I mean, you're sitting there thinking, what the heck is going on? Is Can this guy get us over the hump? Talking about Tom Herman. And – Texas, by the way, has the most veteran quarterback in the history of this series. And OU's getting a, you know, breaking in a new guy in Spencer Rattler. So I, th- I think this game is more important to the Longhorns than it might be to the Sooners. Jenny Berry brought up quarterbacks there and, and Sam Ellinger. Yeah, this will be his fifth start against the Sooners. And if uh, complete wackiness happens and he decides to come back, there could be a chance he could play as many as eight against the Sooners. 
uh, during his career, which I would imagine would be a record that would never be topped. Uh, But uh, just uh, Sam Ellinger, the way that he's shaped this series, hadn't had the success wins and losses uh, wise one and three uh, to this point against the Sooners, but he's performed well in these games. Yeah. You know, he, he has, and I mean, obviously, you know, last year uh, he got sacked a bunch, nine times if if my memory serves me right. Um, Which in the, in this pandemic world, I don't trust anything. (laughs) My memory. I I believe that that is correct. Nine times. Nine. Yes. Nine (laughs) sacks. So, I mean, not to say that those were all about Sam Ellinger and his play last year, um, but, you know, that was, a, that was a heck of a game last year that really could have gone either way, and, and Oklahoma made plays at the end, and Texas did not. Um, the year before, a big comeback by Kyler Murray, that Sooner team. So, you know, this is a guy that has gone up against um, – an unbelievable run of, uh, of Oklahoma quarterbacks. I mean, that obviously the quarterbacks don't win and lose every game. But to, to think that he has played, you know, he's played Baker Mayfield, he's played Kyler Murray, he's played Jalen Hurts. I mean, three guys that had unbelievable seasons in each of those years went to the, the Heisman ceremony, two of the three won it. Um, you know, I mean, just that, <laughs> the fact that his career has laid down exactly on those years, um, this has to be uh, a year that when you think about his experience that, you know, Texas has got to figure out a way to, to maximize that in some ways on Saturday because, you know, Spencer Rattler has been pretty good for the Sooners. I don't think he's high on the list of issues for them. Um, but when it comes down to, you know, in a, in a game that here recently has shown, it comes down to maybe one or two plays, Texas has to hope, uh, that Sam Ellinger is the one who makes those one or two plays that make the difference. Um, so it, but it, it, it's, it is crazy to think that you've got a guy that is, I mean, has, has been fairly successful, maybe not to the standard of, of of Vince Young or, 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 you know, whatever, if you look back in the Texas history books, but, you know, fairly successful guy and has just not been able to, uh, to have, you know, much success against the Sooners. So, um, but that does have to be a huge, that does have to be a huge, uh, you know, um, load off the mind of, of Tom Herman, of uh, Mike Yersich, the new offensive coordinator down there that they do have a guy that has done this before. So it'll be interesting to see how that, how that comes to fruition on Friday, uh, on Saturday. You know, I don't, I don't know. Sam Ellinger sounds like he's kind of mad this week that he's ready to get over this hump. You know, does that, does that get you there? No, he's going to have to go out and play, but uh, it is going to be interesting to see what that, uh, what that, what that comes to look like on Saturday. Yeah, Barry, Jenny, Jenny brought it up there early in that answer talking about, the run of quarterbacks that Sam Ellinger has been matched up with and Ellinger this week down in Texas uh, brought that up and somebody asked him, you know, what advice he would give himself as a freshman uh, going into this series, what he didn't know then versus now. And he didn't talk about handling the, the atmosphere or pressure or anything. He talked about the great run of Sooners quarterbacks that he was matched up against, which is uh, better well, it's as, as good a quarterback uh, run 
over uh, over a four-year period as probably any school has had. And then Ellinger, after the loss, uh, I don't I don't know if defiance the right word, but uh, maybe resolute. Uh, and uh, also talking on Monday about after uh, Texas lost to TCU about, uh, hey, I don't care if my teammates like me. If they like me, great, but I've got to get up in their face and, uh, you know, tell them. I think he, the, the, word, the word phrase he used is tell them what's what. Well, Ellinger's an interesting fellow. He's, he's more hmm, – Trying to think of a, of a likeness, he's not overly talented in terms of arm strength or speed, but he's tough. He's got leadership uh, qualities. Um, I think he's fairly um, clutch. Um, you know, he's he uh, Longhorns are one and one this year, but he was great the last three minutes in Lubbock to get him to two touchdowns. Last week against the Frogs, you know, their back's against the wall. He takes them right down the field, get to the one-yard line, and Texas screwed up by handing the ball to Keontae Ingram instead of letting Ellinger carry it across the goal line. Cost him the game. So he's sort of an unconventional 21st century quarterback. He's sort of an old school. You know, old-timers will remember this name, Joe Cap. That's who, that's who he reminds me most of. Joe Cap was a quarterback at Cal and uh, – really wasn't considered talented enough to play in the NFL. He went to Canada for a long time and came back to the NFL and took the 69 Vikings to the Super Bowl. Just a tough old bird of a quarterback. And that's how I would describe Sam Ellinger. He's not as good as Baker Mayfield or or uh, or uh, Kyler Murray or really even Jalen Hurts. Uh, and in skills-wise, it's, it's going to be the same as Spencer Rattler. But he is a good leader. Um he is the guy that, you know, led Texas past Georgia in the Sugar Bowl and then just declared Texas is back. Um, not, not the greatest uh, prediction of all time because the Horns still aren't back. But he definitely gives Texas a really good, a really good base to win this game Saturday. Yeah, so, all right, we spent a lot of that uh, time talking about Texas and, and Sam Ellinger. We're going to take a quick break and come back and talk about OU's quarterback, Spencer Rattler, and what the Sooners need to do to be successful on Saturday. Thank you so much for joining the Sooners Extra podcast powered by the Oklahoma. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra Podcast, powered by the Oklahoma and Jenny. Uh, like I said, we spent the first segment uh, talking a lot about Sam Ellinger. Uh, let's talk about his counterpart on the Oklahoma side, Spencer Rattler. Rattler has been really good this year. Yes, there's been some uh, questionable decisions late in games, especially uh, some some ill-advised throws. But you expect that with a freshman, or, uh, even a redshirt freshman, and even one as talented at Spencer Rattler, but uh, it's hard to say that that Spencer Rattler, to this point at least, hasn't lived up to the hype with uh, some of the throws he's made, especially even a a fair amount of the throws he's made that have wound up incomplete, Uh, had a lot of drops this year and uh, just some unbelievable throws. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, on the the list of things that Lincoln Riley – 
Alex Grinch and, and all the, the Sooner coaches are looking to remedy this week, you know, would they like to see Spencer Rattler improve from last week to this week? Yeah, but, I mean, at this point, the improvement that they would like there is, you know, more like a golfer who's gotten his score down from 100 to 80, you know, and now is trying to shave off strokes that, you know, are a little bit harder to shave off. And, and whereas, you know, things like tackling, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to quit, you know, triple bogeying every hole to, to keep, keep on with the golf analogy. Um, so, I mean, I think that, uh, I think that he has played well. Um, you know, I think that it's, I mean, here's the thing. We knew that this guy was going to have some growing pains. Um, his first game, I think, led a lot of us to believe maybe not. Maybe he is just going to be this good right away. Um, but he, he will continue to get better. You know, he will learn in the fourth quarter um, what he needs to do. Maybe there are some small things that he would do differently, both in play and approach, attitude, whatever leadership you want to say. And maybe that gets to the point where we see him like we saw, you know, Baker Mayfield, like we saw Kyler Murray, like we've seen these quarterbacks of the recent past at Oklahoma leading comebacks. And, you know, as Barry chronicled, I think it was last week, you know, Oklahoma has built its dominance in the Big 12 on winning close games. And a lot of that comes down to having quarterbacks that win games in the fourth quarter. So that to me is the thing that is now that next step, that, that evolution of Spencer Rattler to win in the fourth quarter um, and not just be um, good, but be great there. So he has been good. And, uh, you know, would they like to see the, those, the signs of that evolution begin on Saturday? Wouldn't probably be a bad time for that to, to come for, for Spencer Rattler. But uh, yeah, he's uh, again, I think, I think I heard Barry say it the other day, way down the list of problems and concerns for Oklahoma. Yeah. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Barry, Jenny touched on it there and, and it was a big topic of conversation talking to uh, Lincoln Riley and, and Alex Grinch and, and others this week, the fourth quarter issues. And, and obviously Spencer Rattler is a part of that. And we've talked about those uh, decisions that he's made in a couple of games that have put OU in, in, in even, well, it sort of ended both games really, but it seems like if OU is to be successful in the fourth quarter, besides all the defensive issues that they've got, and we'll touch on those in just a second, but on offense, it seems like they need to be able to run the football, especially when they, they, they get leads. Uh, they're not able to shorten games right now with the way that their offensive line's playing, the way that their running game is going. Yeah, the offensive line miss is a mystery. This was not the rebuilding year for the offensive line. That was last year. And you thought a lot of these guys played. Hayes, Robinson, Ely, uh, of course, Creed. A whole bunch of these guys played last year and played rather well. So why have they not been able to to uh, open more holes or, or get things going or pro even protect better? And I don't know the answer. Um, but – I've actually been fairly impressed with T.J. Pledger and Seth McGowan. I mean, I think they've run okay. They've not – you know, it's not Billy Sims back there, but they're but they're pretty good tailbacks. I don't think that's the problem. So, they've got a – I don't know if it's a scheme issue. I don't know if Lincoln just hadn't come up with the, 
you know, the, the running lanes that he generally does? I don't know. But you're right. The, uh, the running game has not been up to the recent Sooner standard. And, you know, we, we talk about the air raid. This is not the Mike Leach air raid where the running game really doesn't matter. Lincoln Riley's offense has been predicated since he got here on a strong running game. And it hasn't, it hasn't uh, blossomed. It needs to blossom in the Cotton Bowl. Now, the one thing you can say is this. Sooner coaches forever have come up with really good uh, wrinkles for Dallas. And, you know, you go back, I go back to the wishbone of 1970, uh, the Marcus Dupree reverse of 1982, the Quentin Griffin draw from uh, from 2002. They always have something to spring on Texas. It needs to, uh, it needs to come from the running game. Yeah, Jenny, certainly we could see some different looks out of Oklahoma on Saturday than we've seen from him, them through the first three games. But uh, what Barry said about uh, McGowan and Pledger, I think, is absolutely right. I mean, heck, we saw on, on Saturday in Iowa State when those guys were able to get find open space, and, and they did that in a couple different ways, they were able to make some some really good plays. I think for me right now, Seth McGowan is the best OU running back uh, currently, although Pledger, I thought, looks a whole lot better than he has to, the, to, the, to uh, this point in his OU career. So um, they do need to find a way to run the football. Uh, that was a, a topic of conversation this week also with Lincoln Riley. Was, uh, he said the offensive line wasn't playing as poorly as I think a, a lot of people think. Uh, there's also obviously been a lot of talk about how the – the shutdown, how the pandemic, the contact tracing and, and testing has hurt the offensive line. But at this point, those excuses are, are starting to wear thin. Yeah, I mean, they, they have to be better. I mean, Barry's right. You know, you think about the concern of a year ago. You know, that was going to be the time that they were going to have to figure some things out and maybe make up for the fact that, you know, their offensive line wasn't, where it needed to be. And, and then, you know, even with the shutdown and, and Oklahoma's snap count isn't, I mean, I think it's, it's on the low side offensively compared to what they normally do. I mean, they haven't snapped the ball a ton. So, I mean, I know everybody's dealing with some condition issues, but you're right, Ryan. I mean, I think at some point that, that isn't it. Um, or that, that, that really shouldn't be at the heart of the problem. So, um, you know, you, you, you think, while there might be some condition issues, some conditioning issues, you know, these guys who largely played together a year ago, you know, they, you would think the opposite would actually be true this year, that they would benefit from, you know, that they, they had that experience and you're not trying to, I mean, we know that there are, are schools that are, you know, trying desperately to develop chemistry on the offensive line with very limited, you know, no spring hardly, limited fall, you know, pandemic, uh, you know, tracing and testing and isolation that keeps guys away. So, you know, there's all sorts of teams that have, you know, really had to to scramble to try to get an offensive line unit that has some cohesion. And where you think Oklahoma might, you know, since they can kind of move past some of that from that experience a year ago, instead, that's, uh, it's just not been up to the standard, you know, and it's not just, um, necessarily um, blocking, although, you know, that's been part of it, but 
penalties at bad times and just just not not that um, seasoned veteran offensive line that you would think Oklahoma would would be putting on the field this season. Yeah, Barry, it seems like that's the uh, the biggest head scratcher of, of all these issues is the offensive line. And I know that that, that group needs continuity as, as much as any other or uh, cohesion, but uh, certainly surprising, especially when you look at, you know, this, yes, they've rotated left tackles. Yes, Eric Swenson and, and Anton Harrison have been big issues, but it hasn't just been those guys. The guards have struggled. Uh, those are guys that have played a lot uh, during the last uh, couple of years. Yeah, <clears throat> and we've come to so rely on Bill Beatonbow and believe in his ability. Um, so it, it, we just don't know what's going on there. Uh, and in this year of COVID, you, you tend to think, well, is this pandemic related? Is there a reason why the disruption of spring practice, the disruption of, of uh, summer conditioning, the uh, off and on nature of fall camp. Is that a case of, could that have affected the offensive line more than others? We don't know. It's, it's all mystery, no, but it needs to, needs to get straightened out because, um, you know, this Oklahoma offense doesn't look the same. Now, with all that said, the OU offense has still been pretty good and been actually been really good. So, you know, it's not really the downfall of this team, the offense. We know that. I think we're going to talk about that in a second. But <clears throat> they've come to rely on the running game so much and a, a really strong offensive line that it's, it's bewildering when it doesn't happen. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yes, we are going to talk about uh, the other side of the ball, the defense. Uh, after we take our last break, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about the defense. We're going to talk about the uh, different atmosphere that we're going to see on Saturday in the Red River Showdown, and then uh, give our productions as well. Thank you so much for joining the Sooners Extra podcast, powered by the Oklahoma. Welcome back to the Sooners Extra podcast, powered by the Oklahoma, and I'm Ryan Aber here with Jenny Carlson and Barry Trammell and uh, Jenny Barry touched on it there right before the break. The offense, there's some head scratching things about it, but uh, they're still been, ha, ha, they still have been very productive. The defense, on the other hand, not so much. Although it's funny, I was looking on the uh, NCAA uh, stat rankings and. OU is not nearly as low as I thought they would be on, on total offense ratings, but when all of your problems uh, happen at really inopportune times, those, uh, those yardage rankings and things like that can be very misleading. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the, the time that has been most important and, and crucial has been, you know, fourth quarters. Um, you know, uh, Oklahoma – you know, you look at the K-State game and through two-plus quarters, almost through three quarters, you thought, you know, I mean, everything's looking pretty good. You know, teams are going to score points. Of course they are. I mean, that's going to happen. But to see that fourth quarter um, and then to see it repeated at Iowa State a week later, you know, I think, um, you know, it, it's just it's it's confounding. I mean, I think sort of in the same way that, 
Um, you know, we were talking earlier about Texas and, you know, Tom Herman year four and, you know, here they still sit kind of trying to really get going and take off in a way a lot of people thought that that program would under Tom Herman. It feels somewhat the same, you know, obviously a shorter runway. This is only year two for Alex Grinch, but, you know, I think his track record, he turned things around so quickly and so dramatically at Washington State, which, you know, nobody's talking about defense of the Cougars, and they definitely weren't during the Mike Leach era. But, you know, you just thought, hey, he's going to come to Oklahoma. He's going to get things going. We saw a pretty dramatic improvement last year. You thought, okay, now they're really ready to take a big step. And instead, we've seen some of the very things that, frankly, got Mike Stoops fired a couple years ago. You know, we're seeing the missed tackles again. We're seeing that, uh, you know, over-aggression of, of flying in there, not getting the guy on the ground. So it's um, – and still not getting turnovers. I mean, if you're not going to get turnovers, you gotta you got to make tackles. And it's just, it's just confounding to see the steps backwards that the defense has made this year. You know, this, this, what's interesting, <clears throat> I thought – too much optimism about the OU defense this year. Um, were they marginally better yet last season? Yes. But we saw against K-State. We saw against Iowa State. Um, we also saw at the Peach Bowl, by the way. The, this this uh, OU defense had tons of holes. And then they go and they've played these games without their four best defensive players from last year. Pernell Motley, uh, Neville Gallimore. Um, Kenneth, Murray. Kenneth Murray, Kenneth Murray, and Ronnie Perkins. So, exactly how are they supposed to be any better, if not significantly worse? So, I think we were a little bit too high on this defense. They did play great for two and a half quarters against Kansas State. There's no question about it. And so, they're capable of it. They were not very good at all the other night against Iowa State all night long. They got some stops near the goal line made the Cyclones kick field goals. That's good. But, you know, basically, uh, Iowa State scored four touchdowns and kicked three field goals. And I think they had ten possessions, if I'm not mistaken. So, they got three stops all night. And that's losing football. That's going to get you beat. Um, so, they got to play much better. Texas offense is better than Iowa State's, better than Kansas State's. Um, I think you're going to see the Longhorns going up and down the field. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of us expect this to be a high-scoring game. Uh, just looking at the numbers, OU, I don't think uh, many people would get this, that OU is number 14 in the country in total defense, number three in the Big 12 behind West Virginia and Oklahoma State. Now, the caveat that there's only, what, 74 teams that have played so far, so – uh, you know, number 14 doesn't necessarily mean what number number 14 normally would mean, but uh, still a little bit shocking. Jenny, uh, Barry mentioned uh, OU being without its four top defenders from last year. Three of those guys are, are gone and into the NFL, but one of them uh, is expected to be back on Saturday, and it could be uh, very beneficial to the Sooners. The curious case of Ronnie Perkins uh, shows up on the sidelines at Ames and uh, reports are that he has been cleared 
uh, by the NCAA that the suspension is, is over for him and he'll be back. Um, it would be huge. I mean, I think that, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of attention paid to missed tackles, especially in the secondary guys that, you know, aren't, are out in the open and aren't getting tackled. But I think there's a fairly significant issue up front too. I mean, we've what Oklahoma has two sacks this year. I mean, um, just not, just not getting much pressure, not really affecting things all that much in the backfield. Um, so I think that is, that's significant. I mean, you think about a team that sacked Sam Ellinger nine times last year. I mean, that seems long ago and far away compared to what we're seeing now. So they've got to do some things to, you know, get at Sam Ellinger on Saturday, just the same way they got to do that, you know, moving forward, whether it's, you know, Baylor, whether it's Oklahoma State, you know, whoever you're up against, quarterbacks in this league, you know, there may not be a Heisman contender among the group, but they're they're capable in this league as we as we've seen these last two weeks uh, against Oklahoma. So I think that's going to be um, I think that's going to be huge moving forward. And Ronnie Perkins would be a would be a shot in the arm for that. You know, he's uh, he's going to be able to do some things, but and maybe he maybe he occupies and other guys are able um, to, uh, to see the benefits there too. I don't know, but I, they, they've got to be better up front and that would be a huge, huge, uh, huge situation for them if they were able to have Perkins on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt about it. They've had a little bit more sex than that, Jenny. They've had okay. six, but six, still, right. still, they haven't been able to get, uh, 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 sustain pressure and get and finish things off. I think we saw them get to Brock Purdy a little bit last Saturday, but weren't able to finish it off uh, really until uh, Isaiah Thomas's uh, strip sack. Um, but they've got to be able to do that uh, more consistently. But Barry, the defensive line, yes, that's been an issue, although Isaiah Thomas has filled in fairly well for Ronnie Perkins. But the secondary, I think that's the thing that uh, a lot of OU fans especially have focused on. Obviously, we've focused on it quite a bit. Uh, Heck, Pat Fields even talked about how undersized they were after the game, trying to slow down Charlie Kolar. And those guys are not getting any bigger. So is it time for Alex Grinch to throw some of those young guys in? And normally you wouldn't say, hey, throw this uh, freshman redshirt freshman into the fire against Texas. But this is going to be a completely different OU Texas game than any we've seen. Is it time to throw guys like Josh Eaton and, um, you know, Seymour or Woody Washington and, and uh, some of those other young guys that I think have led to a lot of people uh, being excited about what the future of the secondary could be? Well, I think that question is dependent upon the, the uh, psychological makeup of those young guys, Washington, Eaton, and those guys. Can they hold up mentally, emotionally, in a game like OU Texas, even without the uh, fans and the midway and uh, the uh, revelry around around this game? It's still going to be a different kind of game and in intensity. Uh, the, the rivalry will be such that you can just feel it on the field. And can those guys hold up to that kind of mental task? I don't know the answer. Alex Grinch might not know the answer. 
but he's the only one qualified to to decide. So he's going to have to decide. He turns out he's the safeties coach. So you know the, the buck stops with him. Um, if he believes they could hold up, and yeah, you got to play those guys. Sooners just aren't getting it done. Bradley, uh, Brendan Radley, Hiles, an atrocious game. Patrick Fields getting getting pushed around quite a bit. Um, they're just not good enough at safety, and you got to be better. It was a problem last year. It's a problem this year. You know, generally, cornerback historically has been where defenses really struggle to to fill personnel, and not been the problem that big of a problem with OU. So. It's that safety. Is it time to find out if these guys can play? Well, and the answer is probably yes, unless you just think they're not mentally ready. Yeah, and you also have to think about the, the you know, not, not only, to you know, Saturday. I almost said today. Like, we've got a game today. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> not yet, guys. Not yet. Uh, but, you know, it's not just Saturday. But if a guy gets, you know, repeatedly um, – you know, beat or humiliated or whatever it is, how does that linger? Uh, have you lost him for a while? And, you know, I, I agree. I think there probably does need to be some personnel, you know, changes, you know, run those guys in there and at least see what you got. Unless you think, you know, the whole thing is just going to crater him for, you know, the rest of the season. And that's a whole other issue. But you would hope that, you know, Alex Grinch and going after these guys who are, pretty highly regarded, highly touted that they're not just, you know, good um, physically, but they're good mentally uh, to, to some degree. So you would hope that would be the case, but I'm with Barry. You, you, we don't know. You would hope that, that those guys on the coaching staff would know though. Yeah. So we'll see Saturday uh, if there's any major changes in the defensive backfield, it wouldn't surprise me. Certainly if uh, we see some guys that we haven't seen, very much of Barry you've been to a lot of these games OU Texas and it's uh one of the great spectacles of college football so different from any other game played uh, by any other team in a sport just what's going to be the weirdest thing to you about Saturday whether it's uh you know the lack of the fare the bus ride in the uh uh 25% of fans there uh, you know, anything like that. What's what's the strangest thing going to be? For me personally, it's going to be the empty fairgrounds. Um, you think about OU Texas, and, you know, I always, I always am relieved when I get into the stadium, which is an antiquated stadium that's packed, few little concourses, not much room, and yet I sort of feel like I've been – been uh, brought, uh, released into the great expanse of the American West when I get in the stadium because the human crush outside the stadium is so huge, especially there on the uh, west side of the stadium, the main entrance to the Cotton Bowl. You know, the 30 minutes before that game, um, you know, that's just uh, – it's 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 uh, like uh, – I don't know what – it looks like uh, – you know, I'm, I can't even I can't even describe what it looks like. I mean, it's it's like a, you know a Beatles concert or something with people just crushed together and nobody's really moving, but everybody's moving, and um, <laughs> it's just going to be we're going to get there Saturday morning. and It's going to be empty. There's not going to be anybody there, and it's it's going to be indescribable. Will be different for the players on the bus ride. Everybody talks about it. 
I don't know. I think the bus ride for most players tends to be less than it was 20, 30 years ago. Uh, most of the players go to ball games with headphones on, <laughs> uh, their heads down in their phones. Uh, they could be, for all they know, they're, they're driving through Yellowstone Park. So um, I, I don't know that the players are going to be impacted a whole bunch by that. But for them, I think it's going to be when they get out, the roar of the crowd is going to be different. Still be 50-50, but it's not going to be the same. Here's what I want to know. Are OU fans going to maintain their social distancing around the ramp? You know, the OU has the advantage because it sits in the uh, end with the ramp. So the teams enter and exit, you know, with the OU fans surrounding them. Everybody spread out. That's not big a deal. Well, OU fans congregate right there around the ramp to, uh, to cheer on the Sooners and to berate the Longhorns. I'm interested to see how, uh, how that goes. Yeah, that'll certainly be interesting. I'm also interested to see if there's the little patch of OU fans on the opposite side, the little enclave there, or if they're able to work it out where there doesn't have to be that because it might only be like, you know, two groups of people uh, there uh, on, on that side, which would be a little bit uh, intimidating. So we'll see about that on Saturday. What about you, Jenny? What's going to be the, the strangest thing? Um. <sighs> Yeah, I mean, I think not having that uh, obvious Texas on this side, OU on that side. I mean, it is so – it's such a cool thing to look at the 50-yard line and see clearly crimson this way, clearly orange that way. And, you know, this just – it's not going to be there. And, you know, I think – I think the fans at games to this point have done a pretty good job. I mean, the games I've been at, I don't know what you guys think, but it seems like, you know, they make noise and it seems like there's, they're, they're not affecting games the way a full house would, but I think you are seeing at least an atmosphere there. And so I think that that'll exist to a degree, but it's just, you're not going to have sort of those, those sites, like Barry was saying, sort of that, that crush of, people outside that feeling that you know that you're trying to get somewhere but how are you going to do it and it's very disorienting and you know just sort of having those things that are visual uh, emotional cues almost in the whole thing it's just not going to be there it's just going to be different and so um, I yeah I think I I think I'll miss seeing some of those um, those things that just say OU Texas so clearly to me. Um, I think that's going to be very, uh, very interesting on Saturday. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, uh, let's wrap this thing up with predictions. Uh, Barry, uh, what do you got on Saturday? I know you have a, a system. Are you maintaining that this year? Yeah, I'm maintaining the system. I always pick who won the year before, so I'll go with the Sooners. Um, <clears throat> I think it'll be close. I think it'll be high scoring. I'm going to say 41-40. If I'm off, I'm low, uh, not high. Uh, I'm low. Yeah, I think uh, all of us expect a high-scoring game. Uh, Jenny? Yeah, I've got the Sooners by uh, a slightly larger margin, but you can't get any lower than Barry's one point. I'm going 45-42. But, I mean, I I just – this game feels very up in the air to me. I mean, a lot of years I I say that, but – a lot of years I say that because I feel like there's going to be a really good matchup that determines this. I think Saturday it's more about not knowing 
what part of what team is going to give way. You know, is it going to be OU's tackling problems? Is it going to be Texas's tackling problems? I mean, everybody sort of had something, uh, you know, fatal flaw. Uh, you know, what what happens to sort of pull the string out of the fabric on Saturday and what, you know, swings the game? I don't know, but I do think it'll be high scoring. And, and uh, you know, I think it – I think Lincoln Riley said it would be uh, entertaining. I, I would agree. I think it will be somewhat entertaining. Quality? Eh, I don't know if anybody's going to call it a quality football game on Saturday. Yeah, we'll have to see about that. I was a little bit surprised that uh, one that only one person of our group of, of six pickers in the paper picked Texas, uh, especially with the problems that OU has had. Obviously, Texas has its own issues. And but I'm not really surprised that the lowest scoring uh, per- prediction we had was uh, Jeff Patterson at 38-35. I think everybody expects a lot of points to be put up. I went 46 to 40 OU. I think uh, both defenses are going to struggle yet again. I think this is going to come down to a, a couple of things. It's going to be uh, which team can run the football. Uh, uh, though Texas has been better at that so far this year, especially with the Rashawn Johnson. And, well, and County Ingram, both of those guys have been pretty effective. But uh, OU's offensive line has to figure it out eventually. But I, I think special teams play and, and turnovers could play such a big part in this game, as they do in all games. But, uh, you know, if, say if Marvin Mims can break a big return, that could uh, uh, turn the tide the other way. But I went 46-40 to OU. We'll see what happens on Saturday at the Cotton Bowl. We'll all be down there experiencing the uh, the crazy atmosphere of this Red River showdown, Red River shootout, Red River rivalry, whatever you want to call it. But uh, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to be back after the game with another edition of the Sooners Extra podcast to break down what went wrong, what went right between OU and Texas. Thank you so much for joining us. You can check out our work every day at the Oklahoma and every, or every day at Oklahoma.com and every morning in the Oklahoma for the best. So you covered anymore.